Hello, uh, my name is David Turner and this is another Lunar Poetry Podcast. And for this episode I am in fucking Istanbul. This is amazing. And today I'm joined by the sp- uh, host of Spoken Word Istanbul, Justin Paul. And also by some other poets who are lurking behind the microphone. We have Musa, Lydia, Johnny and Eric. Uh, but they'll be on later. So, because t- today we're going to do sl- have a slightly different format. We're going to have a shorter interview and like a two-part open mic thing. If it fails and sounds terrible, it's my fault. It's not the poet's fault. <laughs> um, say hello, everybody. Hello. Hey. See, I wasn't lying. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I've come all the way to the edge of Asia to interview some poets. I can't fucking believe it. Um, we're going to begin, actually, Justin, I'd like you to give us a short introduction to yourself and what you do. Okay, uh, sure. <clears throat> um, yeah, my name is Justin Paul. Uh, I grew up in Indiana, went to school in Philadelphia. I've been living in Istanbul for two years. Um, I'm a writer and editor. Uh, mostly I do prose, novels, a uh, bit of journalism here and there. Uh, I make money by editing because it's really hard to make money by writing. I used to write a lot more poetry, but I still read a good amount of it yeah. and write it, and I'm the host of Spoken Word. Thank you. Yeah, and I was just about to say, you obviously don't sound very Turkish. And so how did you end up no. in Istanbul for the, fir- for the first part? And, but also, how have you ended <coughs> up hosting Spoken Word Istanbul? Um, it's a bit of a long story. I'll try to condense that's it. That's fine. Go on. Go on. I, was, uh, I was living in Philadelphia uh, with a woman and we were planning to move to Argentina together. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of money. I was delivering pizza and working at a golf course. Uh, we were saving up, yeah. and then she left me. So I made the logical decision to move to a, a Greek island and write a novel, which yeah. I think is what you do when you're heartbroken. So I went to the island of Rhodes for three months, and I painted houses and started writing a book. Uh, I had about a month worth of money left after that. So I said, you know what? I've never <clears> been to Istanbul. I'd always like to go. So I came here, and I really fell in love with it. Uh, and that was over two years ago now. So I found work, and I stayed. Um, about a month after I got here, a friend who was passing through said, oh, you should come check out this open mic night. Mm. Um, I'd never heard of it, but we went to Spoken Word Istanbul, which at the time was at the Cooper Atif Performance Arts Center, which I don't think is there anymore. Um, and I met the host, Merve, uh, a Turkish woman, uh, Merve Pelavan, and we became good friends. And when she went to Paris uh, last fall, she asked me to take over Spoken Word. Yeah. Um, and there's a connection there, I think, with uh, a former guest we've had, Pat Cash, uh, who started Spoken Word Paris. You can't move anywhere without someone that's been through Spoken Word Paris. Yes. You talk about Paris, it's really, there's a lot of people passing through. And, Oh yeah, yeah. We, we routinely have guests uh, coming down from Paris yeah. who have gone to Spoken Word, they're asking to perform here. Um, and of course, Merve got the idea for it. She studied in Paris, I think it was six years ago now, yeah. and Spoken Word was just starting there. And with the idea, she came back to Istanbul and started Spoken Word Istanbul here. Um, have you, have you, uh, were you involved with Spoken Word at all before you came, did you start Spoken Word performing in Istanbul? I did, yeah. yeah. I, so, I hadn't been involved in it before. But had you, uh, not as, even as an audience member, had you seen much before you came? Or no? Not much. I would go to readings occasionally yeah, yeah. in Philadelphia, um, see poets, see writers mm. there as well. Um, 
I had a very strange view of writing for a while in which I thought it wasn't very collaborative and I thought you just kind of hold up in a room and wrote and you do some of that sitting in a tower yeah weeping yeah effectively heartbroken and being really miserable you know the miserable artist I love that it's really great but but it's not and it's actually much much better when it's (laughs) shared with people and you realize that it helps to get feedback and to have people who edit and tell you when you suck and tell you when it's good um and so, yeah, coming here has been really revelatory for me in that sense, in that now I am involved in a community of writers, and I, I never had that before. Actually, that was going to be a, a later question. Maybe we come on to that now, because you mentioned it. How critical is the scene here? Like, I'm in terms of receiving uh, um, constructive criticism from other writers or performers. At Spoken Word itself, it's very supportive, because I think going up on stage, as most people here will uh, attest, is... Yeah. Heroin. Actually, yeah, I mean, because we hopefully involve some other, other, since we have five other poetic minds in the room, I don't want to shut them off completely. Does anyone else have any uh, any input with, in terms of the critiquing of work? And from um, here, it's not really interesting. Like Justin was saying, it's very supportive yes. because getting up on stage in the first place is quite scary. And I think it's spoken word is something that's also quite often there's a lot of first timers, so it's like in more than any other um, open mic I've been to actually like at Spoken Word Istanbul there's always lots of first timers so I think it's it's more about giving support than it is sort of yeah I've spoken to a lot of poets in London about that fact that um, you have in London you have Spoken Word London which performs a pretty similar role where you're applauded just for getting up and it's sort of I've always compare it to amateur boxing you're applauded for getting in the ring you don't <laughs> yeah. have to be any good yeah. you can get knocked out it doesn't matter you've been brave enough to get up and do it and Poetry Unplugged which is where pretty much ev- everybody reads for the first time because it's if you google Spoken Word London or Poetry Open Mics that's the first result and everyone goes to Unplugged but I, sort of, I find it interesting to ask um, do you feel like there's a need for a more critical space like, do you feel that like, there should be a space you could go and be tested a bit more be pushed on what your ideas are I think, and Johnny, Eric, and I have talked about this a lot, there are spoken word pieces, and then there's a lot of the other stuff you do. Yes, yeah. And a spoken word piece tends to be very, it has a lot of emotional highs. It tends to be very brief. Um, And a lot of the stuff that I think we really value and work on, we don't perform at spoken word because it's not the proper venue for it. Um, And outside of spoken word, through people I've met there, like Johnny, like Eric, like some of the other writers who aren't here, I have found a very critical community. Johnny in particular is, is great. And if he likes something of mine, I know it's really good because he doesn't like a lot of my stuff. But I value that. Um, well, do, do, does that mean then that Spoken Word Istanbul is a more critical space? It's just you find the, the, the conversations after the event. You know, it might, I don't, and that's what I don't actually mean. I don't mean you should go into an event and read and people slate your poems. It maybe is just that that community then is formed around the event. You know? It's not critical in the first instance. No. Like we said, it's very yeah, supportive. Yeah, yeah. But if you, you choose... Well, people will come up to you and talk to you and maybe say this was good or they'll encourage you, but then you make friends and then you can meet together with those people and then it becomes more of a, a smaller group of more critical <laughs> individuals. Um, so there's that extended community where we actually kind of bolster each other and push sure. each other a bit. But in, in that large spoken word space, it's generally uh, yeah, yeah. positive. Yeah, but it, it's there if you want to search it out. Mm. Yeah. Um, and does anyone have any experience about how the spoken word scene here compares to other places? Or um, yeah, it's very different actually. Yeah. Like uh, I was in the sort of Bristol spoken word okay, scene yeah, quite yeah. largely, and um, 
it's and even in London and I'd say London's very competitive and yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more of a slam scene so it is actually you are competing with each other yeah. and plus um, everyone wants to be famous there yeah yeah so <laughs> so it's definitely got um i'd say that the english scene the bristol scene and the london scene have a far more sort of performance edge to them and that's interesting yeah, yeah yeah like there's a lot more um like I, in in istanbul i don't often see people who have memorized their poems whereas like in bristol and london that's kind of what people so do, do people read more from the page here? Do yeah, they so I think it has more yeah, yeah. of a vulnerability to it because mm. people are, you know, it feels a bit more intimate here. Yeah. Like people are reading. So out it's more of a diary, sort of a recital scene rather than a, it's not as performative. As yeah, it, yeah, I, yeah, I'd say that. I'd say it's it's yeah, it's not as performance based. Yeah. it's more recital. But yeah, yeah. Well, it's good. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, again, I wasn't intimately involved in the writing scene in Philadelphia. I was relatively young but having friends who've been involved in it especially in New York San Francisco um, one of the major complaints they've had is how competitive it is mm. yeah, and yeah, that yeah. you have somebody up there and the entire room is hoping that they bomb because there's this inherent competitiveness yes, there yeah. and everyone there is thinking I'm better than this person yeah. I want to succeed and have them fail and one of the things I have really liked about the scene here in Istanbul and this was like that from the beginning is how supportive it is yes. and the yeah, sense yeah, of yeah. everyone there's not a lot of jealousy yeah, yeah, at yeah, least yeah, that yeah, I've yeah. found and that's really healthy I think yeah 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 yeah. yeah. so yeah. Um, that's yeah, interesting because I it, I find it strange with the scene in London because it is both it's both um, supportive and competitive in London yeah people it's are in kind equal of measure, watching but, and like waiting and sort of but I think because it's Very such such a big city, there's a lot yeah. going on. You can find both of those things if you want. If you want mm. to get involved with the slam stuff and be very competitive, you can. If you want to be more performance based, you can. But there is also a very competitive performance scene as well, where a lot of people may hope that you bomb and, <laughs> and that you forget what the fuck you're doing. And, um, and and some people like that, and that some people thrive off of that. Yeah. Um, and but, some people don't. And I get very nervous when I read, so yeah, that yeah. would make me choke and fail, and it would be terrible. So and it's then, nice that it's supportive. On that note about you choking and failing, would you like to read a poem, Justin? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. So we're going yeah, to have the first half of the open mic thing. We're going to start with Justin, and then I'll introduce the poets as we go around. I'm going to introduce everybody on first name terms, and in the description for the video, we'll have everybody's full names and uh, contact details. But today, um, we're all good friends. Bonding over poetry. Uh, Justin, thank you. All right. Uh, this is a poem called Creation Myths. I wake up to thin October light on my legs, crystalline autumn sky swimming on the floor. The pigeons roosting out my window converse with my kitten, who shakes a paw. My room is finally furnished. A bare room is the bastion of a broken or dispassionate heart. Those incapable of love are those trying to forget it. Above my desk are New Yorker covers from the dead psychologist. Your poems are by the door, and the flag we stole from the twelfth hole of my golf course is above my bed. Everywhere is the red of my Phillies memorabilia, and the smeared blood from the mosquitoes I've killed, which means that my blood is all over my walls. But it's morning. I see none of this. It's there, I think, where I have to open my eyes and roll my neck. Our possessions are probably still here while we sleep and when we blink. Unless, of course, they aren't. So let's pretend, because I'm liking this train of thought, that I'm in a barren room, 
or better yet, no room at all. My eyes are closed. There's my body and the nothingness beyond. But before I design this world, there is you, sitting beneath the palms and the mangoes, the sun descending over the Pacific, a wind whispering down out of the mountains and tickling the stray hairs on the back of your neck. You're barefoot, the sand, which this far from the sea is mixed with sticks and soil and discarded chicken bones, is cold between your toes. Your sunburn has teased out the freckles on your cheeks. The crown of your nose is peeling. A few, server, a few surfers are savoring the nearly empty beach, riding the swells created by a storm half a world away. Squalls and French Polynesia mean cold beer and lingering dusks here. Really, the waves are just ripples, mosquito wings. You've seen one of these surfers around town. He's Australian, tan. You like the way he looks at you, as if he's already seen the two of you together in bed. There are children on the beach, too. Your students, bright-eyed kids who will become bright-eyed fishermen. Down the coast, there are the lights of the beach bars, the sounds of their rousing from their afternoon siesta. You look up from your book. What are you reading these days? Wolf, maybe Gilbert, since you're far from home. What about Pasternak? Yes, Pasternak, that's it. And you feel the mountain wind rattling in the big palm leaves. The Australian looks your way, a stomach like spring music, hips like arrows of flint, and throws up a hand. You wave. But before that, you dip your head, and here in Istanbul, feeling the ripples, I open my eyes. Thank you, Justin. Um, and now moves up. Three. That you shouldn't open. Three. You shouldn't open. A window. In a stormy day. A bottle of wine. With those. You don't love. And your eyes. On the loved ones while they go away. I'm here since long time under a bold tree at the entrance of the city observing, observing the horses coming back without their nights and pushing the water towards them as they come near. I warned them for a long time. I told them that the wolves of the forest are howling from hunger and will not leave you and will not leave anyone of you if you traveled alone. They didn't listen. They said, we will not wait the fulfillment of the convoy. convoy. And then what? These are their horses coming back alone with the sloping saddles. Thank you, Mr. 
And now we're going to have uh, Lydia reading. <clears throat> we grew up like cracks in our parents' floorboards, the little spores you get in teapots, on different sides of fireflies and pirate ships, in different lands one sits, sipping whiskey on the western rooftop of their world, when it was smaller. Other members didn't set traps for their luxury, so under the chandelier of their plan, praying it would crack and shatter, filled the floor with shiny little traumas and ruptures, only to be waiting under the light bulb. Like, what did you expect? Or distract from the footprints they already left? Act like acts of God were nothing more? There are no foothills in these landlocked plateaus, these one-stop stores but don't sell food, where you can't quite see over that shelf that leads to the storeroom where they keep the dirt and the good shit. We would voyage from our corners, migrate in some ways, to change, take our rusty skulls that are screaming to fill new heat and worlds, the poison you want, so those cells turn into razors scratching from the inside out, leave little marks on your legs etch into your back night after night after night besides signs of childhood traumas and drawings we made for the good times cutting loose old nicknames those phobias we had of crowds there was no reason to scrub and to see what we carry the same colors and pieces ooze out when we fall or hear news we don't want to we can't say that we're alone to that this world won't miss you we hold it, seeping out as we move, feeding the ground so we can one day all be barefoot. There is chastity in the heart of this earth, in the ends of the cigarettes we took from the ninja, in the growth of our bodies as they twist together with strangers. We all start out that way, with lovers of nothing to say, spoken in the tongues you don't know. I met you in another language neither of us speak, do you remember? The way we read it. It was easy. Funny how we moved to scream blasphemy into washing lines with harder throats, like, I fucking love you, man. It's not all about talking. It would be moonlight, shooting shit, bitter picnics. There is purity when we see it. When the world shrinks to four corners of smiling faces, merged to make perfect circles. Prehistoric neighbors. We all have the same troubles when the escalator can't move fast enough, when it doesn't turn the way you want it to, when we realize we're better at getting what we don't want than what we do. Thank you, Lydia. And now, uh, Johnny. This piece is called I Am A Teacher. I am a teacher. It is my job to teach people to remember what I have almost forgotten. It is my responsibility to instill people with interest, curiosity, awe, and to inspire them to do what I could not, but believe I should have. Former axioms, dog-eared truths that I will impart like vials of pure oxygen to the half-breathing. It is my job to rub care into apathetic wounds, slip luminescent bookmarks between the clumped pages of knowledge in the hope that one day on a hampered Monday morning or slovenly Sunday afternoon years on, the wounds will be felt sealing, 
The bookmark will shimmer in the decided dirge of day. The page will be reopened and the thought rekindled. An idea resuscitated, then kept alive by the eternal machines of remembering and the drip of reapplication. It is my job to animate corpses, to turn sultanate battlefield deception into celestial shadow puppets, imparting life and death and love across the face of the sun. It is my job, in essence, to make people give a shit. To get them to stare at the canvas and not see a barren white or terminal black, but a sky of undiscovered stars that make an astronomer of every discipline. To open their crusted or crusting eyes of sleep to the dreams that keep us awake. It is my job to make doused bonfires blaze, that those I am teaching may see them and throw more wood on, and we may all stay warm a little longer. It is my job to give a shit, so that others may give a shit, even when I'm not sure I do anymore. Thank you, Johnny. I said shit quite a lot there. Fucking hell. Now a poem from Eric. <laughs> uh, this is called Common Sense. I smell you, Istanbul, as I walk along the sea, leaping over rocks and looking for a level spot to sit. The awkward scent is quite off-putting, and so I fix my eyes on view to ignore what I contribute, the putrid love of Donair and the late-night Durumju. And as the scene across begins to fail me, my nostrils fill with intimacy, revealing something obvious. Like dogs sniffing entrails to discern, we too in turn get to know each other well. I know you close. I know you by the smell. Of 18 million reverse invitations, I wind back through drains and pipes, back miles maybe, back up into your home and see you in your most unshowing moment, half-naked, unawares, sighing in some tile whites and wall downstairs while performing biology's latest urging. I cannot judge and will not chide the human things that make us shy, and for a moment, myself, now sitting, touching on ceramic whites, I wonder who's come up my pipes to know me. Perhaps they sit down on the other end and wonder who is on this porcelain. So when the city strikes a pose, I forbid my eyes, sedate my nose, and love romantic lies the scene still brings of lights and skyline, mosques with their arms towards the skies, and domes and bridges and buildings less meaningful, you see, we are closer than we realize. Thank you very much. Thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, I was meant to say at the beginning, if you want to uh, applaud afterwards, then feel free. But now it would seem really, like, like really patronising if we did it now. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's move on from that. Yeah. Okay. Ah, poetry. Can, can we talk about Shit River, since you wrote a poem about it? And if you want to talk about... It's a very nice transition. Well, actually, that. I was going to say there's... Um, You're going to Catacoy tomorrow. You're going to experience it first. Yeah. Yeah. Nostril. Um, <laughs> There a lot of references there. Is it? Do, you, do you, most of you feel now that Istanbul is almost your muse? Because it's 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 the only muse. All the yeah, opposite. Yeah, the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah. Or <laughs> I was just about to say, it does feel like I've only been here a few days, but it does feel like Istanbul wants to just destroy you. It's yeah, yeah. It does. Welcome. <laughs> yeah. We always say that the city is either 
You're yeah. either on top of the city or it's on top of you. There's, yeah. Uh, Apparently, what was it? Fatih Sultan Mehmet said that way before us. Yeah. <laughs> what was it? 1453, he yeah, invaded yeah. the city. Before he invaded the city, he said, uh, either I conquer the city or it conquers me. Yeah. And I think that idea really is prevalent. And you, you live here and you start to feel that. Uh, it almost feels... Did, did we describe Istanbul as being in an abusive relationship that you you can't quite leave? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's almost two years now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. But, but do you find it, is it is it frustrating or have you just come to terms with it? Is that just the way it is? Yeah. There are days that's really frustrating. Yeah. There, yeah, there are days where you just want to scream and you want to be anywhere else. Yeah. And then there are days and... You're you, riding it. Yeah, yeah. Riding and you couldn't imagine anywhere else in the world being any better. Yeah. Um, and there's, I find there's not a lot of in-between space. No, it's quite say. extreme, isn't it? Black and white. It's really uh, polarized. It's amazing, but it uh, terrifies me. Uh, yeah, and not just the taxes. <laughs> <either. laughs> Actually, I just wanted to ask a quick question again about the, the how the scene is formed over here. And... Uh, uh, Lydia mentioned about uh, slam poetry in London. Is there, is there any kind of slam scene here at all? We're, this is the only spoken word thing in the city. Yeah, 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 yeah. English, I know. Ah, I don't okay. know as much what's being done in Turkish. And yeah, I know yeah. Lydia's doing work as well with uh, the Refugee Centre. Yeah. I don't know what events you guys are doing, but if you want to talk about that, you yeah. might know more than me. Yeah, honestly. I mean, um, we're not sort of doing a regular thing, but um, yeah, we're doing... Well, we organised a big spoken word event. This sub was there, and it was about. I used to teach a poetry class at a refugee-run centre for Syrian and Palestinian refugees, yes. and we organised a spoken word night and sort of mini zine launch. Yeah. Uh, we did that last week, but it, again, it was very uncompetitive. It was very much read what you want, no judgment here, no prizes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, there were. I mean, I bought people beer, but I mean, <laughs> that was. That's the only, uh, the only compensation for poetry is beer. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as far as I know, no, there's not much yeah. of a slam scene. Actually, the few points you just made there to run neatly uh, through no, no mean. Uh, that wasn't my meaning. I'm not that professional. But they run neatly <laughs> into the next two questions, which were: is the, the poetry scene here is it predominantly English, uh, English language based? Do you think? I mean, that probably is for you guys. That's the way you attend. For us, us. although we, yes. we, spoken word allows anyone to speak in any language. It does. And we do have that. And yes, and you do have people who will perform, and not as many as before. I know when Merve was there, it was yeah, yeah, yeah. much better. With people would perform in Turkish, yeah, yeah, yeah. Arabic, Farsi, even yeah, French, yeah, yeah, Spanish. Yeah. Um, so it is open to anyone to read in whatever language they would like. But our experience of the scene is definitely more heavily English based just because that's what we're writing in and yeah. what we're reading so, yeah because I, I was just wondering I mean this question might not go anywhere but I was just wondering whether there's any resentment uh, in the uh, maybe the community of Turkish writers whether you know it should be more Turk, you know I don't. I don't think so. No, no, no I've never felt. Uh, so, I was just. It was just. Uh, it was just a question that popped into my head. It isn't based on anything other than. Uh, yeah. You know, no, we've gotten nothing but support yeah, yeah. and again my sense of the different literary groups in the city and again it's a very fractured small yeah, yeah. sense of knowledge is that they're rather diffuse and there isn't a ton of 
overlap that goes on, and there's yeah. not a ton of centralization. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have a lot of smaller movements, but not any larger centralized one. Yeah, 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 that's cool. I, I maybe, I don't know, maybe jumping the gun here, but there's a certain sense that artistic movements have to stay underground because they're kind of suppressed and it's not overly encouraged. Mm. So there's, a, there's this sense that they're disparate for a reason. And I don't know, in that sense, when some people come to spoken word, they're sort of just amazed that they have a platform. No matter, yeah. how, no matter how uncompetitive or whatever, it's just a nice place to be able to... It does seem that something. anything that would happen in Istanbul would be fractured anyway, because the city is just in pieces anyway. <laughs> like, it just seems like a natural... But, but I also think in terms of the areas in the city where you're going to have people who are doing more artistic things tend to be relatively small. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you have here Beolu, Taksim... Yeah. You have Katikoi on the other side. Mm -hmm. And those are kind of the main districts where you're going to have artists congregating, I think. Um, I know for as big as the city as I often have it happen, and I'm sure you guys do too, where I'll be out in Katikoi and I'll run into someone I know on the street. Or I'll be, you know, out in Taksim. And in fact, it's probably about 50% of the time I go out, I run yeah. into someone I know. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of, yeah, the areas where people who are involved in the arts congregate in the city, it's not that big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then the, the next question was, um, I just, the connection was to Lydia and talking about the uh, programs with refugees mm. and stuff. I was just wondering, and this is more of a long-term view, how the spoken word scene here has been affected by events in Syria, for example, and neighboring countries. And you, Masab might be the guy to talk somewhat about that. Uh, there's around 1,702,000 in Syria and in here, yeah. 1,700,000. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, uh, I'm, I'm one of them. Yes. You know. uh, there's so many uh, Syrian, right? Yeah, yeah. Living here in Istanbul. But they, most of the Syrian people who come here to Istanbul, look to Turkey uh, as in general as a station okay. to go to other, another place oh okay so yeah, yeah, yeah. Because an entry point yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, as example to Europe yes yeah, yeah. they are looking for papers I mean passports yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. in, in a place to live yeah yeah, yeah. For all um, also yeah. it's more about also the sort of subject matter of poetry as well how that's reflected here because um, there's obviously a lot of poetry in London or in the UK is reflects heavily people's opinions on sort of foreign policy and what might be happening in this, uh, the lives of refugees. But it's very easy in Britain to talk about it because you're on, a, on an island in the North Sea and you're very, very removed yeah. from it. You know, and, and you can sort of take the moral high ground because it doesn't, it doesn't affect you in any way unless people actually make it to Britain. Yeah. You know, which happens rarely. So I was just wondering how that, because if you talk about issues here, you have to, I assume, do it in a very serious way because you're going to meet these people very often. They're going to be in your audience. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you're going to be held accountable for is what I mean. And that's what I wondering. You have a very different audience here because of uh, uh, it, geographically. You know. It depends. Um, there's a lot of turnover in the audience. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a couple dozen people that have been going for a long time and come more or less every time. And then you have a lot of students or other artists passing through once in a while. Um, we've had a couple of people come and read, Mossad being one of them, uh, who are refugees. Mm. Um, we had a woman a while back who came and sang a really beautiful song, a Syrian woman as well. 
I don't know. It's it is strange for me, at least, being in the city because you know that you're bordering a country that is at war, but you don't necessarily feel that no. here, and there's not really an awareness of that going on. People yeah. just tend to go about their lives, and you're out in the city and you see that, and so it's a strange disjunction for me. Yes, and it's yeah. not that different than how I would imagine it feels being in London, honestly, okay. in terms of life, commerce, just kind of keeps going on. Mm. Um, aside from the fact that you do see the Syrians, you do see them out in the street, um, but how that affects daily life here, I'm not entirely sure, honestly. I'm I, mean, I think you get more of a, depending on the, your circles, <clears throat> like, it's, it's not so much about what's going, or at least like what I experienced, it's not so much about what's going on in the actual country because we're so far removed from that, but what happens after that, so what life is like for themselves, like what it's like to try to get to Europe, what it's like to try and get a passport, what it's like to live in a city but doesn't really want you, you know, what it's like to leave your home and your culture behind, all of this, I think that's really the part of it that we see more of, not so much the stuff that's going on in the country, so I think we have quite a unique viewpoint on the situation being yeah. in Istanbul and being around it. But it does also at the same time, as Musab said, the city in some ways does function as something of a way station for a lot of people who mm -hmm. are coming and trying to go out, and conversely, coming and trying to go get in. So Actually, that was going to be my next question. Since, uh, since being here, it actually doesn't relate to poetry as much, but it's um, in a way it would relate to any creative process. It's a bit of a question of place mm. and how growing up in Britain um, and I mean in a purely geographical sense, I have always seen uh, Turkey as being European, as a landmass, not culturally, but as a landmass being part of Europe. Um, I've been very surprised talking to people, um, Turkish people and Syrian people in, uh, in Turkey that they don't view themselves as Turkish at all and don't actually really view themselves as Asian either and it really is it's sort of you've got a sense of you, you are between it's, it is this sort of in-between station almost and I suppose it's always been that but I just mean I was just surprised by this attitude maybe that how do you think that affects the way people view art in general here? Because it must it must lead to an isolation. <laughs> oh, bang! That's there you terrible. go. Let's talk about two I mean, hours. Right? Like it must lead to a certain isolation. Or, uh, I'm wondering whether that frees you or, or traps you. I mean, I'm always wary, even as an outsider, to discuss how people who grew up here and who have lived yeah. here feel about this. Because ultimately, I I don't. Actually, know. sorry, I'll just clarify that. I don't mean people who grew up here. Yes. I mean Istanbul, and Istanbul doesn't contain people necessarily that grew up here, because no, we're talking true. as a group of artists and writers and uh, refugees and tourists and students, and that's what I, that's what I mean, talking as... So how as a place does it affect us? Oh, anyway, or how are you thinking the, the creative process, the art scene, the literature scene? We can just talk purely about poetry if it's, if it's easier and narrows it down a bit. I, I just have a quick, yeah. quick point. Um, when I moved here... I was impressed and sort of inspired that there's still a spirit of revolution here. Mm. Actually, the belief that revolution can do something. Yes. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say people are completely jaded in the UK, but there's a certain sense that it's almost post-revolutionary world that they've got enough freedoms that mm. that's. Whereas here, it's it's a, it's a necessity and it's it's yeah it's fought that they fight. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Mm. And that's, that's that feeds into the art, I think, a little. And bit. that's what I mean. That's sort of what I mean. It must feed and into. And they the do literally have to fight for their art yeah. sometimes. Yeah. A lot more than. Yeah. Well, and I do remember at least I just gotten here when the protests in 2013 started yeah. up. I do remember how that was just such an all-consuming thing, and it felt like when you were in the midst of that, nothing else outside of it could matter. But then there was that realization that it didn't matter that much in the larger world context, and that the world just kept moving on, and that the government kept moving on. And then, and I think that was a question that a lot of people here had to grapple with after that, which was this really important, seemingly seminal event just kind of ended, and yeah. nothing changed. Um, and people have been grappling with how do we make things change and how do we deal with the sense of disappointment that came about from that. Um, but again, that's a question that I think someone who spent a lot more time yeah. in Istanbul would be better qualified I to think, answer. I um, think on the topic of uh, senses of disappointment, we're going to have some more poems. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we're going to start again with Justin. That was a great segue. All right. <laughs> this is um, a much shorter poem. I can find it. And it's called Snow. Uh, and I wrote it after we got a very beautiful snowstorm here about a month ago. <clears throat> How to write about something poetic when I no longer think poetically. This city beats the poetry right out of you as this country buries its miners and burns its women. Of course, life beats the poetry out of you too. It is snowing in Istanbul late on a February night. Snow swirling around slender, mute minarets, a black kitten slinking up a soft white street, mistaking the gulls chanting for the azan. Haas once wrote that beneath the sorrow, the world makes a kind of singing. But I believe the world is always singing, if you care to listen. The rare moment is when silence settles over you and all that you have been, and done, and lost, and loved. The Silence of Snow. Thank you, Justin. And now, Eric. Uh, this piece is called Duty. In a hustled rush, I repeat my daily task. I throw the covers off the bed so that I may shower my flesh red, so that I may replace my feet with wheels, so that I may, so on and so forth, and fulfill my responsibility to the world as a young man does in the city. I walk out to the street and the little light of what cannot exactly be called morning. As always, the purple sky mumbles inaudibly from the top of the sunken concrete corridor of my home. Like anything else in life, the errand becomes something so cliché that it can only be real. At that hour, there are few mobile things to tell you they've broken their night's peace to movement, but there are a few, myself unwilling among them. The well-dressed and impossibly old uncle, defining the words respect and duty as he purposefully plods his way back from the earliest of prayers, is another. I more than watch him. His walk is hanged, low, and slung to the angle of the cane he bows to the earth, just as his piety bowed him to the carpet and, with his help, paced his faith down the street another generation. The crease of his pant leg hints at an equally devout wife, performing her duty to him as he does for another. His beard, cropped in coarse, frosted wires that would tremble at each step were they not so intertwined. Each fragile stride, if it can even be called that, moves him barely at all. He knows his age. I walk to catch up with him, but I never will. 
I will pass him a million times, and still he will beat me to the grave. His is a sincere walk-in, and its existence not wanting of anything. This morning ritual is, as simply as anything else is, and brokered before a modern madness came to take its place. It is ordained, a duty he only realizes, with the eye for the recognition of one, and that is enough. He keeps time away from him, and moves with rhythms set to the moon, delegating the night's menace to some hour when the sun is set high in the vault. I fear proximity, as if my youth will shift the air and impolitely impart a lick of wind to his regal countenance. How does one interact with such a man without doing so? In a way I fear him and so deify him. With the luxury of distance and unknowing, I make him what I wish him to be, and nothing less. I don't want to know how he raised his children. I will say he did so righteously and without bias. I won't ask how he treats his wife. I will hope that she knew more than the kitchen, the laundry, the bedroom. I won't fear the clasp of his mind. I will pray that he has opened it. And I won't question his theology. I will believe, because he believes, and because there's still a part of me that wants to. It is cold now, and the rain does not stop him. Thank you, Eric. And now, Johnny. Uh, this is called Why Do We Speak These Words We Write. Why do we speak these words we write? Is there a voice in every word? When we read in silence, are our heads unheard speaking? Are the echoes in our cave to fade and die there if we do not send them out into the clearing? Many of the greats insisted that our vital verse be oratory, that words upon a page could find their wings within a voice, that all posy must be spoken, aloud, sounded, in doubt or proclamation, feeling unconfounded by the pronouncement of words, that we should always lift our heads and send our message through our chests rather than mumble it under our breaths. Blake here comes to mind, and then comes through voice. Blake, who believed that all verse should be written to be spoken, not written for the page and then recited at a later stage who began his work Jerusalem with the following instructions. Every word here has been chosen to suit the mouth of a true orator. Blake, who engraved his madness on the cochleas of the soul. Blake, whose silence was his absence. And Eliot, whose masterpiece The Wasteland is considered by many to be the best poem of the 20th century. Yet Andrew Motion, Britain's former poet laureate, saw sense fragmented and references obscure, was at a loss, could not make head or tail until he heard the man himself reciting it in crackled certain tones through a gramophone and called it grave and mesmerising. But why these passionate adjectives when, as he said himself, he didn't understand what most of the poem was saying? Was it because sound itself carried emotional meaning? As an adult, an easy answer. Of course that was the reason. Why do we speak these words we write? Because there is a voice in every word. Because when we read in silence, our heads are unheard speaking, and the echoes in our cave will fade to die there if we do not send them out into the clearing, stumbling, breathless, searching for meaning, stretching fingertip syllables to the phenomena, 
reaching to the stars from the gutters of our hearts. This is called the crux. To observe how youth undoes us, how the supple lips at rest are always pouting to attention, to entice us with their earliness. Only time has yet to get them. Time has only yet to get them. The body still an ember. Time's breeze has not yet fanned them into flames to burn and disappear. To hang the crux of this, your life, on a tight, pert piece of flesh. Such an essence, but a mess if prayed and laid upon to sleep the fickle hours through. Love finds its space in time and ages you. And if love is not your aim, then lay you will, and awe and pleasure shall be your fill, but love beyond you. Thank you, Johnny. And now, Lydia. It will all be the same, how we love, how we love our hats, homes, children. But is it wrong to love a volcano, a statue, or a symbol? Would it make you sick? Or would you be happy, knowing we loved what we did? Thank you very much. And finally, Musa. And this is one point we were talking about home. Yes, about home, yeah. There is a dwarf in the neighborhood. I hear it cooing every morning in the attic and falling like thunder on the dry bread crumbs at the yard and the skylight. I always stared at her behind the window till she is gone without warning and I wanted to know what does she do in the rainy nights at the waves bumpers and above the white fairies drifting around the fishermen and sitting on the house's bricks across the sea if my hand entered her nest, it would have looked for another nest inside the wall cracks or between the branches in the middle of the night. But my hand, of course, will not get close. I know what does it mean to look for an another nest at the middle of the night. Thank you very much, that was really nice. Um, not that they weren't all very nice, obviously, I'm not uh, singling anybody out. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do that, I'm highly professional. Um, we normally, st I normally finish off asking um, my guests what their influences have been and uh, what their recommendations would be for people to check out, but because I don't want to leave anyone out, so we, we'll leave the influences bit. If anyone wants to recommend to the listeners 
uh, anyone, anything that's happening in Istanbul that people should check out either online. It doesn't have to be poetry related, just sort of arts based. Um. Um, I mean, the one guy that I recommended you speak to as well, and I think he's doing some interesting stuff in terms of just sharing literature is Karim Gunesh, Gunesh, who runs uh, an organization called BookSurf, and they... Uh, it's a free book trading uh, company here in Istanbul. You sign up for it, and any book they have, you meet with the person, you exchange books, and then you meet two weeks later to exchange back and talk about it. Um, and he's a really interesting guy, and it's a great way to meet interesting people who either share your taste in literature or might introduce you to something new. Mm-hmm. So. Anybody else? I'm going to have to. No, no, that's fine. Uh, that's uh, that is officially with that blank stare. That's the finish. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want uh, to thank you, Musa, Lydia, Johnny, Eric, and of course Justin, the host of Spoken Word Istanbul. Every uh, if anybody here in the room now has any blogs to, or any contact information, as I said, it will go in the video description. Check out Spoken Word Istanbul on Facebook. That's what I did. At Spoken Word Istanbul, you can find us on Facebook that way, and yeah. we meet every three weeks at Arsene Lupin. Yeah, so. and 